0: Mike, I live in New York. I talk so fast. There's no way I can talk at my normal rate of speech. I don't care how fast you this talk. Thing. this thing. Okay. is fine. It's,
1: it, the whole thing's done in 20 minutes. It's done in 20 Just minutes. Just warn
0: everyone. Like, I really talk fast. Okay.
1: You know what you really should do? We should kick this thing off with you uh, doing uh, a callback to like one of your Grease performances or something like oh.
2: that. <laughs> the one that I want. <laughs> It was an ordinary day. I woke up on a wave. I filled a sail and made my way to the shore. I blew... I have you down. Came up on your house, waited there for you to come to your screen door. I asked you, can you hear me blow? Though you don't know
0: where I'm coming from, or where I go. My musical life, my musical journey is so tied to my faith journey because I I, I think I'd say my first solo at church when I was six. Wow. At a Christmas Eve service at the Falls Church in Falls Church, Virginia, and I uh, I sang "Once in Royal David City" on Christmas Eve, and it was a solo. And I was like, "Yes, this is for me." <laughs> and I and I I didn't really I didn't embrace Christianity till later in my life, but I was always in the church because they always let me sing there, mm. and so I let them let me sing there. Yeah. There's a pine warbler sitting on a hollow limb He
2: seems to have the whole morning out right in front of him And everything he sings from the branch that he's sitting on It seems to hustle leaves and the colors all around Now first he sings and then he goes And what it means, it's hard to know
1: media you're listening to cultivated conversations about faith and work my guest today is melanie penn melanie's career has led her from classical music broadway to her current work as a singer songwriter we talk about what it's like to make a significant pivot in your career about making art as an adult and about how 9-11 and tim keller led her back to jesus stay with us
0: So the journey as a singer evolved from, you know, souls in church and then it was like doing community theater and then it was, I took voice lessons and um, the voice teacher that I had was a really, she was, you know, a retired metropolitan opera singer who had relocated from New York to Falls Church and she taught me on scholarship. So I got free voice lessons mm. twice a week and I became kind of a classical music competition kid. So while everyone else was like playing lacrosse and doing things that suburban (laughs) kids do, I was um, doing classical music competitions like all over the country. There's a whole subculture of like little, you know, young classical musicians. What
1: does that competition look like?
0: And anyone who is studying music classically as a youngster is like a pretty serious person. And I mean, I was always disciplined as a singer, but not about anything Mm. else. So, yeah, it's like a bunch of very striving kids who maybe don't know what the future holds or if music is in the future. But for that moment, they're really practicing a ton and they're
1: learning. It kind of it kind of takes over your whole life.
0: And you're just like immersed in the material. So it's like I was studying languages and I was wow. I, I was studying diction and um, listening to opera recordings after school. Yeah. I mean, I was so nerdy. I mean, yeah. I it was it was bad.
1: Out of high school, Melanie went on to a music conservatory, and her plan was to become an opera singer. But those plans got derailed.
0: Sometime in my conservatory life, my voice really, it fell apart, actually. So I was kind of being groomed as a teenager to be this, like, Mozart singer. And in conservatory, like, I think my junior year, I had a bit of a crisis, and my throat got very tense. U- ultimately, it was a performance anxiety issue, mm. but my throat got very tense and I lost my range and I kind of lost the obi- ability to sing in public for a semester. And that, I mean, it's still kind of a mystery why that happened. Mm. But I went away for the summer and I tried to build my voice back, but do it on my own outside of the university environment.
1: Mm. Well, you said performance anxiety. I mean, do you think it was mostly an, an anxious thing?
0: I, Yeah, That's a good question because I'm not really like an anxious person and I I certainly don't have performance anxiety now.
1: But you're an intense person.
0: I am kind of intense. I know. (laughs) I know. I try to offset it with humor. I don't know if it works. I know.
1: Yeah. That's just an interesting question to me. I mean, I
0: I think that, I think really it just wasn't a good fit. hmm. Like suddenly I was, I was, my, my voice was growing. Right. So it's like the, the. The mechanics, the the mechanism of my actual voice was growing yeah. and it wasn't growing into an opera singer's voice. Hmm. So like, I didn't have a, I didn't have a flawless high C at any hour of the day, which is hmm. kind of what you need to be a soprano. Right. Like wake up, sing high C.
1: Did you love it? Like, did you love it? Like you wanted to be that? No, or? I
0: just loved yeah. the singing. Loved I loved the singing. the singing part. Yeah. So I was like, give me something to sing and I'll sing it. It yeah. was just like, where do I fit? Right. So that has been the really like hmm. circuitous path. Like I always knew, like I have this voice in me and I would, I sing to myself. I sing my thoughts. I, I am a singer, but where to apply it really was a mystery until I started writing songs. Wow. So I was like, gosh, when I started when writing, that? uh, that was, that was
1: Probably like 10 years ago. I mean, yeah. I was an adult. Yeah. And so there's a lot of story between there and yeah. there.
0: Let's
2: take a drive to see the stars.
0: Sometime between junior and senior year, I was like, look, this opera career is not going to happen. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to go to New York and be on Broadway instead. Mm-hmm. Like,
1: I was like, that sounds easy. <laughs> <laughs> Had you been studying like acting and dance along the way as yeah, well? Yeah, I'd
0: always like done that stuff anyway. I was yeah. just like a natural ham, you know? Right. And so I always, I was like, this is no, no sweat. I was like, yeah. I got this. Yeah. And so I, I moved to New York when I graduated from from college. And I had saved somewhere intermittently. I'd saved $10,000 and I moved to New York mm. with $10,000.
1: So you were like 22. Yeah. Show up in New York. Yeah. So what happens next? Dun, 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 dun. There you are.
0: I was, I always felt like I was getting here too late. Like I got to New York and I was like, Oh, I could have been here. I could have been here when I was 18. Like, why did I bother going to college? You can edit that out for the parents and the for the families <laughs> that listen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I got here. And I started auditioning for Broadway shows right away. And I also like hustled all these jobs. Like I checked coats and I babysat and I waited tables and Mm. like did things to pay the bills. And I lived in a room. I sound so old when I tell these stories. I lived in a room in the East Village in an East Village tenement building. I had, it was $600 a month. And I've seen my mother cry twice in my life. One time was when her father died. (laughs) And the second time... (laughs) was when she saw my first apartment in New York. <laughs> she walked in and she walked out sobbing, crying and wow. like would not come back in. Wow. And, um, so yeah, that's how I moved to New York, but I just thought it was fantastic. I was so like, this is awesome.
1: What's she crying at? Like rats crawling around yeah, the floor? Yeah, they weren't rats.
0: They came later. And it wasn't rats. It was more of a, a serious mass infestation that came a, a little while later that we had to deal with. New York City rites of passage. There are many of them. I think it was just like, it was small. Like I couldn't fit. I had, I had a twin size mattress that couldn't even be like in a bed, like it could be on the frame, like the metal frame, but it mm. couldn't fit a bed because the walls were so tight and then a dresser. And that is wow. it. Wow! But I, I was so happy. You were happy. I was so happy. I was like, I was like, this is it. I came to New York. I did it.
1: So what kind of stuff did you do? Like when you were, when you were.
0: Before I clawed my way to the small time. <laughs> I, um, I did, oh, I did so many fun things. I I did a, a show at the Fringe Festival. It was an original musical that we all thought was going to go to Broadway and I was the lead role in that. And so yeah, I did the Fringe Festival, I did a lot of off-Broadway stuff, a lot of workshops, like a lot of cabarets. Mm-hmm. And then 2 years into like 2 years after I had come to New York, I landed the Grease tour. And then that mm. was really kind of a different level. Yeah. Like suddenly I wasn't doing
1: What role were you playing? I mean Well, I all the so details?
0: I I got the Grease tour with Frankie Avalon, which mm. I didn't even know who that was. And then my mom flipped out, and I discovered, wow. I soon discovered that he was yeah. like the Justin Bieber of his time. Right. I was Patty Simcox, who's the cheerleader. And then I was Sandy's understudy. And then I spent, gosh, I did the Grease Tour for a long time. And then after I.
1: But you're kind of like home base was still New York. Home base was now. still New York. Yeah.
0: And then once I had Grease under my belt, like once I had that tour on my resume, I really did Grease a lot Hmm. in regional theaters. And then I did, there were a couple of other shows that I just always got hired for. So I I stayed pretty busy for several years. I think in 08 or 09, I was doing yet another production of Grease at a theater in Miami. And I was playing Sandy. And then the guy I had gone on tour with was playing Danny. It was like a thing and not a romantic thing, like a casting thing. And... (laughs) If you're listening out there and we, we were in rehearsal and we took a break for rehearsal and I was like with the dance captain in line to get a sandwich and the dance captain said to me like, Hey, so what are you going to do? Like, what's your next gig? What's your next show when you go back to New York? And I said to him, this is the last, this is the last one I'm done. And I just like, it just came out. I said the words and I said them out of nowhere and I knew I was really done. And I came back to New York and never did another show. Wow. Yeah, that was it. And I started writing songs. Yeah. So, so my, I'll have to check. It was 08 or 09. It, had not, it was not 2010 yet. It was right. the last. Well,
1: talk to me about your, your faith journey along the way, because you said those kind of parallel. So let's back up there. And oh, yeah. What's... Just
0: because singing in church has always gone yeah. hand in hand.
1: And you kind of said you didn't take your faith super serious when you were a kid.
0: Well, no. In fact, I know God was there. But there were really two things that held me back from being a Christian. One of them was that I just couldn't connect with the Christians in my life, right? I mean, my parents mm. went to an amazing church and they are amazing believers. It's like, they're the most godly people, wonderful people. But like, I would, I would go to church and people would be like, Jesus is my best friend. And they would have this look about them and I'd be like, what does that mean? Mm. And I couldn't connect. At some point I realized that I really had, the, the crucifixion was a big problem for me. Mm. And What does that mean? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. and if the crucifixion is a problem with you, for, for you, right. like Christianity is going to be a problem. Right. Mm-hmm. So I, I just was so appalled that a father, like if this is the death sentence he puts his son through, then I have no hope this God is going to be merciless with me. And the fact that I didn't really understand the crucifixion, it was such a departure for me. I, I like couldn't get over this hurdle. Mm. And um, I was like, I'm not into this. I mean, it basically was a question of like, is God good? But I didn't know that that was the actual question because the crucifixion to me was just so utterly gnarly and gruesome as yeah. it should be. But
1: there were two things. So that was one.
0: Well, no, those are the two things. Those the two so things. So one of the things was like, the, the, I thought Christians were weird. And the other thing was that the crucifixion itself, I was just like, I'm not yeah. on board.
1: was a problem. I'm yeah. not on
0: board. And um, Tim Keller walks on from stage left. I mean, like,
1: yeah. So how's, how does Tim Keller <laughs> how does Tim Keller enter your life?
0: Well, so so nine oh my gosh so in o one nine eleven happened obviously and it's something that I went through I witnessed personally and at the time one of the day jobs I was hustling at the time was I was doing data entry for a technology firm that had offices above the Century 21 building. And so for those listening who know downtown New York, the Century 21 building was directly across the street from the World Trade Center towers. And so my mother, when the first plane hit, started frantically calling the landline in my apartment because I think immediately all of our cell phones went out. Hmm. And so she's calling landline in my apartment being like, is Melanie at work? Like she just wanted to know where I was. And I wasn't. Because it was a little too early, (laughs) a little too early for my theater lifestyle to be at work. I would like roll in at 10, praise the Lord. So my roommate answers the phone. My mom says, where's Melanie? My roommate says, Melanie's in bed. My mom says, wake her up and turn on your TV. And so she woke me up and we were watching a little box TV in our apartment and one of the towers was on fire and at the, and you know everyone thought that it was a, like a like a little aviator plane mm. like it was an accident we're watching the tv and suddenly there's just smoke and you know when i th- those planes like flew directly over my apartment so i can't remember if i heard i can't remember if i heard it go over i mean i i just can't but
1: like the second plane
0: yeah i mean there's no way that i didn't hear it so <laughs> I watched those towers come down on a random Tuesday and I did think about it. I was like, all these people were just going to work Mm -hmm. and then they got murdered. Like I just witnessed this mass murder and, and then I thought, and then one of my, and then one of my like immediate following thoughts was like, I am the most hedonistic person that I know. My interests are so shallow.
2: Mm.
0: I'm just pursuing, like I came to New York to pursue my dreams, but even my dreams are like pretty shallow and I need to get it together. New York in the weeks following 9-11 did experience a revival in the sense that the churches were suddenly packed, all of them. And I decided I was going to go to church after 9-11. And the one church I knew about was Redeemer, um, Redeemer Presbyterian Church in New York. So I went the Sunday after 9-11.
1: I mean, that's like a legendary <laughs> sermon. <laughs> it's a Keller legendary preached. sermon. Well,
0: and it's a legendary Sunday because it's a Sunday that like multiple services were, multiple services happened because so many people came to church that they like went out on the steps and they said, come back, we're going to do this service again. But the gospel didn't start poking through for several weeks. And in, in October of 01, Tim was doing a series on Rachel and Leah. And I had an experience during one of those sermons, and Tim Keller said this He said, Jesus didn't die on the cross to be close to God. He was already close to God. He died on the cross to be close to you. And I realized, like, oh, Christ had, there was a choice involved, and this wasn't like a hateful father who made a son do this mm. as a punishment only. It was an act of love. Right. And once I was able to see the crucifixion as an act of love, that gave me a supernatural encounter with the person of Christ. Hmm. And I walked out of a Redeemer service in October of 01 a believer.
1: Did you start singing in church again?
0: I did. Yeah? yeah I did actually. Yeah, I, I was a worship leader then that Redeemer for many years.
2: Rose
1: that I think is interesting is you you've gone down these paths right like so you you pursue a path and you get certain rewards for pursuing a path right mm-hmm. things go things go your way mm-hmm. and so like as a kid you pursue music and you become this child opera yeah you know thing
0: yeah I was I won like prizes and stuff
1: yeah and then you and then you're like okay I'm gonna go do theater there are thousands of women in the world who would <laughs> kill someone to have a chance to have the theater career that you had you uh-huh. know even if you've never had your big Broadway break, you were a working actress. It was
0: something. That was
1: something. And yeah, that's more than a lot of people get to experience. And yet you walked away from that and you've been pursuing the singer-songwriter thing. Yeah. Um. And it's been a slower process for you. Yeah. So is it is the challenge of it part of what keeps you going?
0: I don't think so. No? You're like, are you just commitment phobic? Like, what's the deal? No, it's not.
1: I, I don't think it's that. I mean, I think it's... I so mean, I don't would, want to psychoanalyze you, but... Uh, oh,
0: please do, because you're a lot cheaper than my actual shrink, <laughs> I guarantee.
1: No, I just, I think it's, I mean, I just think it's an interesting journey. And so you've been, because you've been at this now, what, 10 years? Eight years? Yeah. Probably as long as you did anything else.
0: Yeah, you're right. Yeah. And that's why I'm going back to school for dancing.
1: Ceramics, <laughs> 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 <No. laughs> uh, your yeah. next thing is ceramics.
0: I think, I think your question is timely because... I have never really come out of looking at the world like an adolescent. What I mean by that is I always feel like there's so much more time to explore. Mm. There's no end to the time. It's like, yes, I'm, you know, eight, nine years into my singer songwriter career. You can't see me air quoting, but I'm air quoting right now. Singer songwriter career. I'm eight or nine years into that. And this is right. Like now I'm on the path where like I'm singing my own words. I'm singing I'm singing original words, which feels good. Mm. But this, th- I can be doing this for 40 more years. Like right. I could be 80 and standing up there with a guitar and singing. And I hope that I am. So...
1: Loretta Lynn seems to be hanging in there.
0: I mean, come on. Yeah. To have kind of a late arrival at the thing that feels right as an artist, the mm. medium that feels right. Yeah. I think that's okay. And... I don't think it's been about like the challenge or like, oh, I tried this and me I'm going to change courses. It's really about being an artist and like not stopping, not like wanting to continue to evolve. Like if I were a painter, mm-hmm. it would probably be like, oh, well, she had this period and then she had this period and then she started doing this weird thing with like tree bark and ink, you know? And right. then she did this thing with oil paints. That really has been me as a vocalist, like figuring out what's my voice going to do yeah. and like, how is it supposed to live in the world? And I've never, th- I've never stopped believing that. Well, I've never, I've never lacked a, a conviction that it should live in the world in some way yeah. and make a contribution.
1: And that's the, and that's the crucial thing. Like, cause if somebody came along and said, you have to stop singing, that would probably be the, the well, brutal. It just,
0: like wouldn't happen. Right. I wouldn't do that. Yeah. And I was, I was just in Nashville last week working on an album and, And someone that I'm working with did say to me, like, I am older and I'm not as famous as maybe one would think I should be at my age and all of this stuff. But then he was like, but you're so hopeful. He's like, the fact that you, the fact that other people believe in you and they are like, they are waiting for it Mm -hmm. on your behalf and you still believe says a lot. Mm
2: -hmm.
0: And, And I think me as a singer songwriter, the world doesn't need another 25 year old you know, getting famous at 25. Amen to that. Yeah. So if my story is like not even getting famous or whatever, I don't even know what success looks like, but to grow and continue to make art Mm -hmm. as a more mature person, as someone who's like approaching life as an adult, Mm -hmm. I think think that's cool. Yeah. And I'm excited to put more music out. And if people start following along a little later in life where I'm seeing things that I'm seeing as a grown woman, I welcome that,
2: yeah.
0: you know, when we look at our family members in the scriptures, what is the theme? They're too old. They've waited too long. Mm. They're not really, you know, they don't public speak. They stammer. They mm. don't, it's like the yeah, unlikely, right. it's the unlikely candidates. It's the candidates who have already done yeah. the thing and are right. sunsetting in life. And God taps them and is like, nope, I've got more to do. And you have talents that you don't know you have. And I think, as god's children this is this is what I, this is what I think in god's culture in in the in who God is, he values waiting so much. Like waiting in the culture of God's kingdom has intense value. And the world will say, "Waiting is what you don't want to do. like right. take the take the shortcut, like do the shortcut. Right. Don't wait around, be successful yesterday, you know, five steps to success by the blah, blah, blah. Okay. Like read any self-help book. And God just seems to deal in his ethos. Like, no, waiting is important. And what you do in the waiting and the obscurity is also important. And so, I don't know, there's something to that.
1: For sure. And there's something...
0: I get intense. This is my intensity coming out.
1: (laughs) No, I think... um...
0: I mean, I'm just... I'm interested in like human beings talk about... I'm interested in Christians talking about the experience of misery. Mm. Because I think a lot of Christians do experience it and there's Mm -hmm. use in it. Yeah. Misery is so useful. And I think that we get in situations that are miserable or they're unsustainable. Or we just know deep within that we're like, why is this misery here? Mm. Right? Right. And... All we want to do is escape it. But I think sometimes that it's, I think it's, it can be a holy experience because misery can be God telling us so much about Mm -hmm. what's not working and why we don't belong where we are anymore. And Mm -hmm. if we're miserable enough, like we'll make a change. Like we're fallen creatures. Like we need the misery to like push us out of the nest, you know? But we don't always allow ourselves to like fully understand.
1: Yeah. Well, because we want to moralize it negatively. Like, oh, uh, you're, oh you're sad? Oh, you're depressed? Right. Man, you should pray more. But
0: your joy, but your joy is in your the Lord. Your joy is in the Lord. And you're like, but I'm miserable. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's probably because the Holy Spirit's trying to tell you something.
2: It always is a surprise with the moon.
1: Melanie has been working on a Christmas album, due out a little later this fall.
0: I didn't expect to write any Christmas songs. And I had a very intense year of loss last year. Mm-hmm. So 2016 sucked. Not just because of the election. Mm. Um now f- for me personally, 2016 was quite terrible. And I um I kind of, I I had had such a bad year that I kind of went into seclusion in December because I didn't know how to end the year well. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to make sure there was no residue from the year coming Mm -hmm. into the next one. So I I withdrew a, a bit from my community and my family in order to bury the year. And out of nowhere, one day I wrote a song from the perspective of one of the wise men in the Christmas story. And it was really weird. And I don't, I didn't try to, but I wrote a song and in the song, the wise man is talking about how he sees a star in the sky and he doesn't know where he's going, but he thinks he should follow it. Mm. <laughs> and so it's kind of a, a sweet little song about like, I, I don't know where this road is taking me, but I've got my eyes on this star and I'm not going to like swerve from the path. Yeah. And then other songs from uh, characters in the Christmas story started to tumble out from their perspective. Like the, like, one of the angels has a song and the, one of the shepherds has a song and the innkeeper who turns the holy family away has a song. And it's like oh. the narrative kind of came to life for me oh. and I accessed these people in such a sweet way. I mean, it's a story that we all know so well, but I like... Right felt like I was kind of in dialogue with these famous people now, you know, they were just like ordinary people and they became so famous because of who their part in the story. So anyway, it ended up being a Christmas album Mm. and it'll come out this year. And I'm so, it, I'm just, it was a gift to me Mm. and I hope that it's a gift to other people.
1: I'm excited. When does it come out?
0: I would put it out August 1st. Go for it. Go for it. Do you think November 1st is too early?
1: No way. For sure.
0: I'll just check out when CVS starts putting out their Christmas decorations. And oh, that, as early as they do it. Uh, that'll be June. Okay, then I'll really start Christmas decorations. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be like, when does Macy's start playing the Christmas okay. songs?
1: Stay tuned after our credits. We've got a full-length preview of one of Melanie's new songs. You can follow her on Instagram and Twitter to watch for the album release. Her handle is at Melanie Penn, one word. Today's episode was produced by me. TJ Hester edited it. Mark Owens mixed it. Our music today is by Melanie Penn. Our theme song is by Roman Candle. Special thanks to John and Jenna Stark for letting me turn their kitchen into a recording studio. We're taking a few weeks off. We're actually moving into new studios, but we'll be back with new episodes on October 10th. Thanks for your patience. The much awaited membership program will roll out then as well. In the meantime, make sure you listen to Sandra McCracken's new podcast, Steadfast. Her guests this week are James K.A. Smith and his wife, Deanna. It's a great conversation. Okay, we'll see you soon, and stay tuned for the preview of Melanie's new record.
2: of com-